Welcome to this week's podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. For more info about Freedom Church, visit hellofreedomchurch.com. Good morning, everybody. So good to see you. My name is Jared, one of the pastors here at Freedom Church. And if you're here this morning or tuning in online or at our Crookston campus, isn't it good to worship God? Isn't it great to worship you know, we had a, just a great time of worship here. I'm sure you did as well in Crookston. And, you know, worship is just excitement that it's not about you. It's just excitement that it's about the Lord. Amen. You know, we can go through our days, maybe a little begrudging that it's not about us. But when we get into a place of worship, it's actually excitement. I'm thankful it's not about me. It's about you, Lord. And I just praise the Lord for that this morning. I trust that in Crookston, you guys are praising the Lord through full strength as well. Uh, this morning, we are starting a new sermon series called First Things First. And just for the month of August, we're going to just look at some of the, the simple foundational things in our walk with the Lord. Because, you know, when you put first things first, when the, when the important things, the most important thing is at the top of your life, everything else seems to be able to fall into place. You know, I'm sure there's a thousand, maybe 10,000 things in your life that you don't know where they go. You don't have an answer for it. You don't know what to do with. You don't, there's questions that you don't know the answer to. And maybe 10,000 things, but if we simplify things, and if there's the one thing that deserves to be on top, if you put that on top, everything else seems to find their place. Everything else seems to fall into line a lot better. And so we're going to look at the one thing, the first thing, and when that first thing is first, your life is going to go a lot better. And that first thing is a relationship with God. A relationship with God. And so over the course of the next three weeks, we're going to look at different aspects of your relationship with God. And this morning, we're going to start by talking about love for God. Now, it might be, seem incredibly simple, incredibly basic, but that's the point. It's not something that you have to earn a degree to think about or achieve. It's not something that's overly complex or complicated, such that only a few get to enjoy it. It's actually the most accessible, basic thing there is so that everybody can enjoy it. So that everybody's walk with the Lord can be fueled by the same thing. And that's love. Love for God. Your love for God. I'm not necessarily talking about the knowledge that you have in your mind, although that's important as a place. I'm not necessarily looking at uh, the service that you render with your hands or your feet, although that's important. I'm not even thinking about necessarily the truth that comes out of your mouth, which is important. But the love that exists in your heart. Love can fuel all those things, but it stands separate and distinct from those things. Love. Love for God. Just that basic enjoyment of being in his presence. That excitement of being his. That joy of serving him and following him. Living in our hearts. So if you have access to God's word this morning, why don't you grab it and turn to the last book in the Bible. Revelation, chapter 2. It'll be on your screen as well. 
But we're going to look at Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 2. If you're unfamiliar with the book of Revelation, uh, so am I. <laughs> uh, not that I haven't read it or studied it, but it can be kind of tricky. Uh, but the first couple chapters are a little more straightforward. They're, they're addresses to different churches in the day and time when the, when the Bible was written. And the different churches had different things going on, and God wanted to speak a specific thing to different churches. And we're going to listen in on, on God's advice to one of those churches in Ephesus. So if you've heard of the book of Ephesians, there's the, a church in the town of Ephesus. And kind of a fun fact, the, the church we know the most of from that time period is actually the church in Ephesus. There's encounters of it in the book of Acts. There's a whole book written to it called Ephesians. There's a letter written to the pastor of the church in Ephesus, First and Second Timothy, and then there's an address in Revelation. So we know a lot about the church in Ephesus. So it's really helpful to look at. So we're going to kind of lean in and listen to an excerpt of the God's word to that church and to see how it can apply to us today. So Revelation 2, verses 2 through 6. We won't read the whole thing that's written to them, but just a portion. It says this. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance. And how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So the Ephesians. We just finished a series called Battle Ready. And as I read about this church 2,000 years ago, I read about a church that sounds battle-ready. It says they're patiently enduring. They're toiling. They can't bear with those who are evil. They don't compromise with the evils going on around them. But they've tested even false apostles that have come forward. You know, I, I see a battle-ready church who are standing their ground, who knows what's right, who's patiently enduring and bearing that up. But I also read, as we continue, a battle-worn church. A battle-worn people. As we read in verse 4, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Battle-worn. You ever been there? Where you've laced up the armor day in, day out. You've gone toe-to-toe -to -toe with the enemy and stood your ground. You have held your convictions. You've been a witness and a light and you haven't compromised in areas you've been battle-ready for a long time. But life can have a, a hardening effect, can it? Life can just seem to have a hardening effect on our hearts. We're standing our ground, we're battle-ready, but we can get battle-worn, too. Where we lose the love that we had starting out. We lose that love in our hearts, that deep 
passionate joy and love. You know, verse 4 talks about you have abandoned the love you had at first. And I did a little study on the word abandon, and it's very similar to like forsaken, almost like divorce language. So that this isn't like a you misplaced it, like you misplaced your keys, but it's you made choices down the road. You had a battle triage, you know, a military term for just accessing what's the most needed thing, the urgent thing, and you decided that the way of love wasn't it. Maybe you didn't realize what you were doing, but an intentional deviation from the way of love. And that can happen to, to any of us. You know, as I read this, it, it almost strikes me as a uh, return to that honeymoon phase. I don't think that's what it's saying. But we all have that honeymoon phase, right? Whether it's in a relationship or a new location where you're living or a new house that you're living in or a new roommate, a new class, a new thing has a honeymoon phase. And what's a honeymoon phase? It's, it's an excitement. You could even say a love, but it's born out of naivety. You haven't been educated yet. <laughs> born out like a giddiness and excitement and impatience. I just can't wait to start this new thing. But when we think of honeymoon phase, we think of rose-colored glasses, right? What does that mean? You just, you just don't really know. It's naivety. It's ignorance. And once you get educated, then it cools down a bit. But see, I don't think God is saying, have that honeymoon phase. Have that naive love. He's just saying, have love. A love that is fueled by ignorance can dwindle once you get educated. But a love that is fueled by what God has done for you and done for other people isn't dimmed when you get educated. Love shouldn't get dampered when we realize sin in ourselves or others, but actually the Bible says that love covers a multitude of sins. It's actually the antidote to getting educated. So many things go on in our life and we feel like the, the doubt and the burden and the crushing fear swallows up love, but actually the Bible says perfect love does what? Cast out fear. Love is actually the antidote of being streetwise. <laughs> Bible also says that knowledge can puff up, but guess what? Love builds up. And so love is the great sinner of our, of our life, of our walk with the Lord. Rather than returning to a honeymoon, rose-colored glasses type love, it's just love that actually overcomes the education that the world can give us, the disappointment that the world can give us, and the battle-wornness that we can face. And isn't it interesting in this passage that these people have, have, have incurred a degree of hardening while they're excelling in other things. I mean, think about what God is saying to them. I know you toil in your patient endurance, verse 2, how you cannot bear with those who are evil. You haven't compromised, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you haven't grown weary. He even says later that Verse 6, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So they are excelling in certain things. And God isn't saying, man, I wish you just have more love and not be so strict on truth. He's not doing a this or that. 
He's not saying you should be this rather than that. He isn't saying of one extreme you should be this and not this. He's saying you are excelling, but don't leave this behind. Do them both well. Do them both well. It reminds me of a, another passage of Scripture that speaks to the very same thing, how we can excel in so many good things and yet, for some reason, lose the heart that we started out with. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, a very familiar passage. Pastor Nathan actually, a couple years ago, had us memorize this as a staff, and it was very helpful. It's a very, very reorienting, centering kind of a scripture. And I love that Pastor Nathan just had us memorize it. And so I'm going to now read it for you because it was a while ago. <laughs> you know, the Bible says, hide God's word in your heart. Sometimes you can hide it too well. It's hard to find. <laughs> I just took it too literally. Well, let's read 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3 together. It'll be on your screen as well. It says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, which is a good thing, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, which isn't good. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, which is a good thing, but have not love, I am nothing, which is not a good thing. If I give away all I have, all of the coffee that the church has to offer, I give it all away. And if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Man, what a sobering text, how we can excel in so many things. And yet, for some reason, life has an effect where we just seem to leave our heart behind. We just seem to leave the love behind. And we start to make decisions based on what's urgent and what's most important and the grand scheme of things rather than looking at the people in front of us. Rather than just loving and enjoying and reveling in what God has done for us. So this does happen. And I ask myself the question, why does this happen? Or how does this happen? Because I know it's happened in my life. So how does this happen and how can I keep it from happening? Or how can I get out of that? And so we go back to Revelation, back to our church in Ephesus, chapter 2. There are some things that I, I wonder if what happened to them. It doesn't come right out and say it, but these are some things that I wonder if what happened to them. And the first thing I wonder is if they got overwhelmed. Verse 2 says in Revelation 2 that you cannot bear with those who are evil, having compromise. Do you ever get overwhelmed sometimes at just the evil that needs to be fixed in the world? Do you ever just feel overwhelmed by all the things that have to be done, all the things that you could do? Do you ever get overwhelmed at just the, the scope of the fallenness of humanity or just the breadth of need that the world has or even your own need? I know when I can feel overwhelmed, it's just like, man, you start thinking about the world as a whole and it's just so much easier to think in that, those terms instead of just the person in front of you. And that's a burden that I don't think we're supposed to carry. God has specific assignments for each of us to do, and it usually involves the people that are right in front of us. 
But I wonder if this church is, and these people just got overwhelmed. Started to look at just the scope and the breadth and all the, the battles that are going on around and, and lost that degree of love. Lost that motivating force of love. Or maybe for others in this church or for these people, uh, they just got caught up in pride. You can see in verse 3, or no, at the end of verse 2, it says, They've tested properly those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. Or even in verse 6, Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now having discernment doesn't come with pride necessarily. When God shows you things and you walk in the revelation God has given you, that doesn't necessarily come with pride. But don't you know, sometimes we, we bring that along ourselves. You know, when God has shown us knowledge, when God has given us a direction, when God has shown us things and we help other people see, see that, there can, there can be a pride that kind of smuggles in, sneaks in. And maybe the battle-wornness of this church is they've stood their ground, they haven't compromised, and yet they've kind of become puffed up. I read the verse, or cited the verse earlier that says, knowledge puffs up. That's a danger. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And sometimes we can aim our knowledge to tear people down. We can aim our knowledge to cut them off at the knees and to elevate ourselves rather than to build them up. Rather than to say, I care about your soul. I care about what's going on. And so I'm going to speak this to love you. Now, it doesn't say this is necessarily what happened to them, but I'm just wondering if pride got in there. You know, I could see that in my own life. I would say I'm a recovering Pharisee. A Pharisee is a group of people in the Bible that pretty much knew what to do, all the right answers, and they were puffed up about it. They were in pride about it, and they looked down at other people that didn't know what they knew or didn't do what they did and saw themselves as greater. And honestly, I'm a recovering Pharisee. I'm recovering that. Because there was a time in my life where none of that mattered to me. But then there was a time where the Lord gave me some great opportunities to, to study and to learn and get educated and to formulate opinions and to search God's word for what's true and to stand on that truth. And you know what? It, it grew in me a criticism. It grew in me personally a degree of judgmentalism. Not because knowledge comes with that necessarily, but because in my heart, that's what it did. I started to take a, an acceptance to being critical. That's where the abandoning the love came in. That's where the intentional pursuit came in. And I became judgmental. You might not know it. I wasn't this raging social media lunatic. But in my heart, I was a Pharisee. I liked tearing people down in my heart. I liked the idea of thinking I was better than other people because I knew what I knew, and they didn't. It even got to a point where I, was, I would look at churches online, and I would, I would look at if they had like a pastor bio, like the lead pastor, and, and kind of gave a description of his life and, and, and you know, what got him into ministry. And, and I'd read that, and it had like one little line at the end, say, he loves hunting and fishing and just talked about a hobby of his. And in my heart, I said, see, if he was 100% for Jesus, he wouldn't have hobbies. Isn't that awful? I mean, this is your pastor here. It's being real. I would, I would judge that in my heart and say, 
If you're 100% sold out for Jesus, why do, you, why do people need to know what you do in your free time? Why do you have free time? <laughs> you know, all this work has to be done. And I honestly judged that, and I felt okay about it. But you know, the Lord has a way of peeling back the layers slowly, right? And just realize there's no love in that. There's no love in that. And the Lord called me to a place of slow repentance. Say, that's not where I want you to be. That's not the person that I put in front of you. And the Lord said, maybe you need to get a hobby. <laughs> That'd be a good idea. <laughs> we can fall into pride. Or maybe the people here were just distracted. There's a lot going on. Just distracted. Chasing things. Distracted from their love for the Lord. Good things that they're pursuing. Things that they fill their time with. Maybe they've been hurt, and you just forget about the goodness of God or the, the love that he has for people. Maybe you're chasing things, ambitions, goals in the world that just lead you away from God, just distracted. Whatever it is, abandoning the love that we had at first is not the future God has for us. It's not the way God has for us. And so what do we do? What do we do? Do you find yourself in that position? If I find myself in that position, what do we do? Verse 5 gives us three things to do. Remember, repent, and return. It says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. So remember where you have fallen. Think about your life. Maybe there was a season of your life where you say, man, I was, just, I was just excited about God. I was just passionate about God. I just loved being in his presence. I just loved coming to church. I just loved coming to any church. I just loved worshiping any song that lifted high the name of Jesus. Rem think back over your life. And where did the hardening come? You know, maybe you were, you were just a more easygoing person. Maybe you are just a more, you know, caring, compassionate person. What, what happened in your life? What happened that, that set on this hardness? That set in this jadedness or this cynicism? You know, what happened? Remember that. Remember those seasons and identify that. Because as, as it's saying, it was, you abandoned it which means it was intentional, which means you made choices. Which brings us to the next thing, repent. Repent. There were situations that brought that about. There were other people at play, other situations, other things helped to contribute to that hardening, but in the end, we still have to own up and say, you know what, I got to repent for what I chose to do, for what I did. And repenting just means going in a different direction. It means undoing what you started doing or undoing what you started believing. Undoing that, unraveling that, tracing it back and saying, what did I start doing? What did I start believing about myself or other people? When did I start thinking that other people were less than me for not having this? And undoing that, retracing your steps, and repenting and saying, God, I chose to do that. This is where I misstepped. And repenting is just saying, God, forgive me. Have mercy on me and give me strength to not do that or not think that. 
And the last one is return. It says, and do the works you did at first. It doesn't say return to that naivety. It doesn't say return to that lifestyle that you had because progression and growth needs to be honored. Don't return to the lifestyle. Don't return to the sin. Don't return to the ignorance. But just return to the things that you did just because you love God. Return to the things that you did because God's love was so in you that you just did that for people. Return to those simple, basic things that you only did because you were just motivated by love. Return to those things. What did you used to do? What did you used to be like? Like I said, don't return to the bad stuff, but just return to that simple, childlike faith and love for God and for others. You know, what did Jesus say the most important commandment was? To love God. And the second, to love people. You're doing those things, you're doing what God wants you to do. And so what I'd like us to do this morning is those three things. To remember, remember your life. Look over your life. Repent and undo some things you started doing or believing. And then return to that childlike, simple love for God. And that's the main ingredient for a relationship with God. And we're going to have a chance to do that this morning. Because this is Communion Sunday. We get to partake in communion. Here and in Crookston. And what is communion? Communion is a chance for us to remember what God did for us. You know, there's so many things to think about in your life, so many questions to ask, so many things to ponder, so many issues to form an opinion about, so many things to know, but at communion, you ask one question, one thing stands out when we take communion. It's this, where would I be without Jesus? Where would I be? Where would you be without Jesus? That's the only question that matters when we take communion because it's remembering what Jesus has done for us. Where would you be? Where would I be without the love of God operating in my life? When you think about that, I think love comes easy. When you think about where you would be, when I think about where would I honestly be without Jesus in my life, it's awful. It's awful. Honestly, it's awful where I would be without Jesus. Not because my upbringing was bad, not because I ran in with the wrong crowd, because my heart is hard and would get me into bad places. And I think, God, thank you. Thank you, God, for sparing me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for grabbing me. Thank you for saving me. And I find that love grows pretty easy in that environment, in that heart that asks that, asks that question. So we're going to take some time to remember what God has done. And if you're in this place this morning, here in Grand Forks, watching online or in Crookston, and honestly you say, not much of my life has changed. I haven't really done much with Jesus. And I'll say, this morning is your morning to commit your life to Jesus. To say, God, I haven't done anything with you up to this point, but I don't want to go any further without you. I want to know your love. I don't want to turn from living my own life. I want to give my life to you. And if that's you, I just encourage you to let us know. There's a connection card here in Crookston as well. Put your name down. On the back, I decided, I decided to give my life to Jesus. And we'd love to walk you through that. What does it mean to live a life for the Lord and to embrace his love for you? So at this time, why don't the band here in Grand Forks come forward? Why don't the band in Crookston 
come forward as well, as well as the ushers here in Grand Forks. Come up to the front stand here, as well as in Crookston. Just come on up to the front as the band is getting, getting ready. We're going to participate in communion. And so communion here at Freedom Church, you don't have to be a, an official member to partake. You don't have to be a, 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 on the volunteer team. You don't have to have tithes or give any money here. This morning is if it's just you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And what the ushers are going to do in a moment is they're going to pass out the elements. And the, the single element has the juice and the wafer. And so they'll just give you one thing that has both. And if you're gluten intolerant, ask the ushers and they can think, supply you with that as well. And after everyone's passed out the elements, then we'll partake of them. Crookson, you'll partake on your own and we'll part ways with Crookson after I pray. But let me pray over this time, over this communion, and just to steady our hearts in what's most important. Father God, I just, I just give you glory. Just give you glory, Lord. Thank you, God, that the person that's standing on this stage right now is not a product of my own doing. Father God, what you have done in me, thank you, God. Where would I be without you? And so, Father, we take this moment to, to focus all of our attention, all of our energy on what Jesus Christ has done for us. What Jesus Christ has done, how he's loved us, how he steered us away from disaster. So we just praise you and thank you, Lord. I pray that in that space, that you just fill up our hearts with your love. If there's people, Father, that really sense they've abandoned that love that they had at first, that you just meet them and restore that gentle patient, joyful, compassionate love for you and the people that you love. So Lord, we just take this time to honor you and what you've done for us. And as we part ways with Crookston, we just bless them to you. They do the same for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To stay connected with us, visit us on our website or check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Hello Freedom Church. Have a great week.